Um, yeah, I would just I would love to know, like, obviously you are, you know, deep in it, especially being a, a pandemic parent, which I feel like is its own can of worms on top of already being. I heard something fall. Yep. That might have been her. Hold on one second. <laughs> it's the parents. Yeah. What did you do? Welcome back to I'm the Villain. So today we are going to be talking about conscious parenting with Yolanda. Did you coin that term or was that already something that people? Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Because I was like, I had not heard that term before. Um, And, you know, and we also just since we're talking about parenting, you will also hear her daughter, Gia, very adorable in the background. So she'll basically be joining us (laughs) as well. Um, But Yolanda, do you want to just give a brief intro to yourself, whatever you think um, the audience should know about you? Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Yolanda, and I am the founder of Parents Decolonize. Um, I teach parents how to decolonize their mindsets in order to ra- in order to practice conscious parenting and raise liberated children. So, I mean, okay, I mean, we're in a pandemic. I feel like I I I, I have heard of some parents being like, "Oh, so great, I get to spend more time with my kids." But are you having like a good time or a bad time right now? <laughs> like, <laughs> so I have a three year old. Um, and, um, you know, my, my daughter Gia is also special needs. She does, she has a speech delay and she just got tested to see if she's on the autism spectrum. She has some developmental delays. So she's getting occupational therapy. All that to say is she's not even in school. So we're always together anyway. Um, the, the pandemic never, it didn't really change anything about my particular lifestyle. And that included how much time I spend with her. That doesn't go mean to say that I'm not sometimes sick of being in the house with her because it is uh, a lot to have, you know, we, she sleeps in my bed, like we bed share. So we literally up, you know, we're going to bed together, waking up together. We're around each other. She's constantly t- touching me and tugging on me because she still nurses. And I have to lean on my family to get breaks. It is necessary. Um, Pandemic or no, if I don't get a day to myself, at least one day a week, I am not a happy parent. So yeah, it just, you know, nothing for me really changed. Um, But I do, I do lean heavily on my support system, my, my mom and my sisters for help. Yeah, that's great that it sounds like you have your sisters in the area and your mom's mm-hmm. in the area and you have people who can like give yep. <laughs> you that. Like I I follow the New York Times on Instagram and they ha- they set up this hotline that's like a primal scream hotline <laughs> for parents and then they publish it. <laughs> yeah. You can just listen to all of these moms just screaming. It's so hard <laughs> right now. And you know, I I know I have I I have a village near me and we are all taking precautions because of COVID and and everything else, but so many people don't have support. And a lot of especially moms don't even feel supported in their homes with their spouses. And so they're doing all the work, they're doing the homework, they're doing the virtual school, and they're working too from home. And it's a lot. Right. It's a lot of togetherness, it's a lot of responsibility. It, it doesn't feel like it's ever going to end. And so yeah, I screamed in my pillow last week okay just walked in there and just screamed because you just (laughs) it has to get out if if it doesn't come out of you in that way 
it, the house isn't happy. It has to come out of you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's healthy. <laughs> it's very healthy. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, this is something we talk about a lot on my on my podcast and, on, on, you know, all of my content is just getting the emotions out and recognizing them and not feeling bad about them. I don't feel bad that I need a break from my kid. Yeah. I don't feel bad saying that she has noise to shit out of me sometimes. She does. I'm sure I annoy her. Even at three, she probably is like, get out of my face. You know? Right. Like these, she's, she's human. I'm human. And parents have emotions and we should be able to express them without guilt. Yeah. And I think that it's good to just like set the example for your child. So like just feel the emotions and not be ashamed of feeling them, you know? Totally. And naming them for your child. You know, as she gets older, I and more verbal. I'm going to be able to teach her like, okay, this is, you're feeling frustrated. It's called sports casting in the parenting world where, you know, you you can kind of tell what your child is going through and you're like, okay, you're, it sounds like you're feeling frustrated right now. You know, frustrated means this thing and you help them work through that. And that's when you're able to name your emotion, it really helps you to be able to work through it actually faster. But it's when we, we are all taught though, to, to just suffer in silence and to not say anything until we're you know, screaming in Trader Joe's about masks. Like, it's not about the mask. You're just angry about life and not being able to express yourself and be your authentic self. That's that's the underlying factor of what I do and what I teach in, in talking about emotions with people. I've heard of that. I didn't know it was called sports casting, but I have heard this, like, on a podcast I was listening to that, that like, you know, teachers, one of the West Bay, the best ways of getting kids to do something, like, put their name on their paper in the classroom or something, is not to tell them to do it, but to, like, narrate, like, oh, like, Amanda is putting her name on her paper right now, and then that's apparently the most effective way to get people to actually do it, or to get kids to actually do it. You know, kids want agency, and they want autonomy over themselves as well. And so to be mm-hmm. always told what to do is exhausting. And my, that's why I work for myself. You know, don't nobody want to be told what to do all the time. <laughs> you know, uh, although I have, yeah. I, you know, having customers is is almost the same as having a boss sometimes. But still, like, yeah, it's like you always have a boss. You always have a boss. But it's different. It's I, I have a problem with authority. I have recognized that in myself <laughs> and, and, and children when you try to control them and tell them what to do all the time, they will resist. So figuring out strategies to allow them to feel um, like they have control and autonomy over their lives is, very, is, is a great way to get them to cooperate. So what do you do? So I'm a parenting coach. I am also a like diversity and inclusion um, consultant. Do a bunch of stuff, y'all. Uh, that's the life of a single parent. <laughs> I just, I'm trying to keep the lights on at this point. But um, I, what I mainly do with Parents Decolonized is I started this podcast to discuss how to decolonize parenting, decolonize mindsets, which means just unpacking the effects of enslavement, colonization, capitalism on parenting, how that, show, how that shows up in our parenting, and then how to change that generational narrative and parent from a place of empathy and compassion and nonviolence for our children. So we're raising emotionally well children who are hopefully agents of change. Hopefully they don't have to grow up to be uh, in a society where they have to change, but most likely they will. And um, we just want to, I want to lessen the harm and the trauma of specifically black children um, 
through mm-hmm. their parents. That's that's very similar to uh, DeAndre and I recently read All About Love by Bell Hooks. And Bell Hooks talks about this a lot. I don't know if you've ever read that book, but um, about how like, you know, the parent child relationship is often this very like dictatorial, like it's, you know, it's almost like you are like, you know, the you are the whole government of your house, you know, and it's like, how are you going to how do people deal with that kind of authority? You know, and I'm sure a lot of people do not deal with it particularly well. <laughs> Most people were were raised in a very traditional type of family structure. And it's like parents on top, kids on the bottom. And they have to just they had to figure out how to change that narrative, because just because things have been the way they've been for centuries, it's not meaning you have to continue that path. And and if we look at the world as it stands as a whole, I just feel like parenting is not effective if we measure the, you know, like ha- how happy the world is. It's not effective. So that's that's part of my overall goal is to give help parents find a better way. Um, so they're not they're not traumatizing their children, and and we're not a bunch of adults walking around talking about I turned out just fine. When I can't keep a relationship, I can't communicate with people. I can't form deep connections with people. I distrust people. A lot of that stuff comes from childhood. And so unpacking all that within ourselves to be able to then talk to our children about their own emotions and helping them work through problems without having this, you know, power over type of relationship, power dynamic. Um, Conscious parenting is about power with co-creating a space in, in, a, in a life with your children and not as like, I'm the parent. I know everything. No, the hell you don't. You really are. Adults are wrong all the time and we need to trust children and we need to allow them to have a voice and allow them to advocate for themselves at home so they can do it out in the world. Right. Yeah. Do you, I'm curious, did you go into being a parent with this mentality or do you feel like you have kind of like as you are going have started to kind of had those types of realizations? So, no, I never I didn't even like kids when I um, <laughs> I never wanted them. I didn't like them. I couldn't stand being in the room with them. I was one of those folks who was like, I want to live on a, on a kid free, free uh, street. And uh, on an island uh, where there's no children, like I couldn't stand them. And uh, then I found out I was pregnant <laughs> at 36 years old. And then um, I wanted to research and learn about child development and and how the best way to raise a child, because I knew I wouldn't want my child to be raised the way I was, which was in a very like, you know, Southern traditional way of children are to be seen, not heard, a lot of violence and that kind of thing. And I didn't want that. So I did a lot of research. And then I looked at who's having these conversations. And a lot of it wasn't happening in the Black community. So I kind of formed my own thing, formed my own group, and went from there. Yeah. Why do you think they were not having those conversations in the Black community? As far as the Black community, why I saw that there was a... Uh, a, a large void. When I went to research conscious parenting specifically, not even decolonizing, but just positive discipline, it was mostly white women having this conversation. And even though what they were saying could still pertain to me, right? 
there's a there's a race there's a a, a racial sort of uh, reason why black people do it specifically. So to not have that conversation included in the discipline conversation was just, it wasn't helping me. You know, there's, there's a tension that black parents need to walk uh, like a, like a tightrope. There's always this tension between like freedom and fear. We want our kids to live a liberated life, but we are afraid for them because we know that they're in danger of, of being killed by the police of um targeted in school like there's all these things that black parents think about constantly and so that's why you see sort of like a more heavy-handed approach to parenting in the black community it's it's a toxic form of love it's a toxic form of protection if i don't do that whole thing if i don't do it the police will you know if i don't if i don't beat you the police will and I decided that that's not going to be my life and that I don't want that for black children. I don't want that for black people. And that's why I wanted to step into the gap and, and say, okay, yeah, these fears are very valid fears, but we should not parent from this place of fear and allow white supremacy to take center stage in our homes by violating our children's bodies with violence because we're afraid for them. That is not a justification for hurting people. So that's why I stepped in because these white parents, they're not talking about this stuff because it doesn't happen to them in this way. No, they they hit their children, but it's for different reasons. Now, some of them may say the same thing. I don't want my kid in jail, but there's not that racial tension that's going on. They're not fearing. They're not having conversations like about the police. Like yeah, we are. it doesn't pertain to them. They are not talking about racial bias in school like we are. and And they don't have the same fears as we do. So when we talk about it, it is from a completely different perspective um, and, and a valid perspective because these fears are not unfounded. You know, it's, it's real. Our kids are dying at the hands of the police. They're dying in from, from health disparities. Mothers are dying at higher rates from, from, you know, uh, maternal mortality rates. So we have to have this conversation differently, which is why I have a free Facebook group for black parents alone. Like no one else can join because we have to have a different conversation than everyone else yeah you know i was raised by my grandparents and my grandfather you know he grew up obviously during the civil rights movement and you know was in the military was sent to vietnam like you know was pushed to the front lines because he was a black soldier so he was i mean to be quite frankly he was a hard ass right and he was really really hard on me and I think that, you know, that was definitely his way of like trying to prep me for what he perceived was going to be like a really, really hard life for me as a black man. And um, I, you know, I, while I really, really appreciate sort of I, what I, what I perceived to be the rationale behind that, I had to do, I had to do a lot of like unlearning of, you know, like, right. you know, I had to learn how to like show emotion and be vulnerable with people. And like, I had to like learn how to let people in and like, I didn't have to do everything on my own. And so I think that's like me saying that, yeah, you know, the parenting matters because obviously it's, you know, you're, you're passing these traits on to your child. It, it, it also matters because we're just not parenting for ourselves. We're parenting for the world at large. If you really think about it. And one of the, the, the most irritating things that people say to me is it's none of your business, how I parent my child. And yes, the hell it is because your child has to interact with my child. Your child has to interact with the world at large. So it definitely matters to me how you parent your child, because that person is going to take 
all that stuff that you gave them or didn't give them into the workforce, into school, you know, into their relationships, and they're going to act accordingly. So it is not a personal choice how you parent your child. It is a very, it is a collective, you're making a collective decision for everybody when you choose violence. When you wake up that day and it's like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm about to beat some. And here's the funny part is a lot of black people will tell you that when they envision before they even have kids, they talk about how they will harm them more than they talk about how they're going to love them. Oh, when I have kids, I'm beating them down. Wow. They won't be able to talk to me this way. Like they're, when they talk about children, it's not from a place of like empathy and like compassion and like, I'm going to do the, the best for my, like it changed myself. So I'm, so I'm not passing this stuff on. A lot of times I did it. I used to say, I'm going to kick my kids ass when, when I, when I, before I had them, because I thought that's what love was. I thought it was, I thought that was, that's what protection looked like. And as a matter of fact, I just had a podcast called, are you parents like the police? Because a lot of it, even though we're talking about as black parents, not protecting our children from the police, we start acting like them. We start oppressing our children like the police. We, 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 we have punishments like the police. We interrogate them like the police. And it's just weird to me how we don't see the correlation between that their behavior and ours sometimes. It's all like if we look at the police and what they're supposed to be doing, they're supposed to be protecting us. They're supposed to be, you know, looking out for us. So our parents and yet it's all rooted in violence. So I just want I just want to teach parents to do things differently. It doesn't have to be that way. That fear is never going to go away. It doesn't matter how many times you beat your kid. You're still going to fear for their lives. So you might as well try living, leaving free as much as you can. Yeah. <laughs> I I really w- would love to know how does that, like, what does that look like, right? Because I, I, I don't have any kids, but I have, like, you know, friends with kids who are really, really, like, you know, you tell them to go to bed and they like knock the trash can over. Like they have just no kind of that respect for authority. And I'm, and I think to myself often, like, what are you supposed to do with this kid? (laughs) Like how, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I get that, you know, the best case scenario, right. Is you instill some kind of just like, you know, that kind of respect for authority or loyalty or just, you know, whatever, for you from an early age and maybe for a lot of people that does work out that way by just trying to instill those like kind of healthy norms. But I feel like it just doesn't, that seems like so idealistic Mm. to think that that's just going to work to me, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? So I think what, what it requires is this is why I go down the path of decolonizing because it requires Mm. a complete mindset shift. I, I am not raising a child. I'm not raising my child to be a compliant person. I'm raising her to be an authentic person for herself. That will sometimes mean that she talks back, that she is acting defiantly, that she may knock over a trash can in anger um, because I allow her to feel her emotions and I allow her to display them. But we also teach, okay, you're allowed to feel anger but I won't let you hit me or I won't let you destroy property. So you're, you're allowing them to, you you can, you can be angry all you want to, you can have your emotions, but I also need to, you also need to teach them responsibility for those emotions. So 
it's like, it's not easy. This type of parenting where we are allowing our children basically to be themselves and to have a voice and have agency and autonomy over their lives. This goes against all the stuff that we're taught about children and about parenting and how children are supposed to be in this world. But like I said, if the, if this world in this country is any indicate, if we're measuring uh, the efficacy of parenting against like what this country looks like and what this world looks like, it ain't working. It's not working the way it's been going. Okay. So we got to try something different and we got to know that, that children develop in phases, what they're going to do when they're five, knocking over trash cans and anger. They may not do when they're 15, if they're taught how to manage those emotions when they're mm-hmm. younger. And so it's all about knowing child development. So I, I always recommend people reading child development books. It's also knowing a little bit about neuroscience. Because when you know about the immature prefrontal cortex, you're not so quick to react to their really irrational, immature behavior. And then it's also making sure that you are doing the eternal work. So you're not reacting to that behavior as well in a, in a or, you know, really like subjugated sort of way. We want our children to feel like they have control and agency, but we also need to give them structure and boundaries. And so there's a, there's always that dance there where it's like, okay, there's some freedom here, but you still have to, you still have to learn how to have respect for freedom. But the problem is that people will always pit if this is working, this type style of parenting is working against a child's behavior. And mostly it's about their compliance. If a child is acting sitting down and they're acting like a little adult, you have a great child. You have a great kid. You know, that's not children for the most part, don't act that way. Be some kids who are like that, but for the most part, children do not act that way. And so I don't want to ever, I don't want to ever raise her to think that her, that, that her needing to comply for my sake, because we really look at like parenting. It's usually a lot of us is about ego to comply for my sake versus her being able to express herself and be who she is. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, so you mentioned that you, you know, when you were like talking about having a child before you actually had a kid and you were like, you were like sort of talking in the same kind of violent ways that um, we hear some people talk about commonly. I wonder what, so what made you make the mental shift? Like what brought you there? It just one day, honestly, doing that research about brain science, about the effects of the uh, traditional violent parenting on the child's brain, on their self-esteem, on on their confidence, and then thinking about how many broken people there are, it just made me want to do something different. I just knew that I, I remember how I felt when I was younger and how lonely it was and how I felt like so just unloved a lot of the times because I was not allowed to be myself and I wasn't allowed to express emotion. Um, I, I really just wanted something different for my daughter. And then I thought about it collectively. I want something different for all black children. And then even further than that, I want something different for all children because ch- children in and of themselves, like they are an oppressed group of people. Children are marginalized on a daily basis. And so I just kept thinking about it and was just like, I really just want to help parents learn a new way. This is for the world at large. Like I just, I always, I'm, if you can probably hear, I'm a big ass dreamer. And so I just think about if we were able to have like two or three generations of, of kids raised in this way, 
like how different would the world look? It would just be a completely different place. Right. It'd be yeah. unrecognizable as it is yeah. as it stands now. And so that's why that's what that's what drives me to do the work that I do. Thinking about the future and how I want it to be for my own kid um and how I want it to be for for the world at large. I you know, I think I think our kids deserve better and frankly we all deserve better. Yeah, I mean it's also so like just to think about the fact that we're all trying to do this given the baggage of like no one ever having quite understood how to parent. It's like it does it does really require this kind of radical level of optimism because it's like how <laughs> I you know I think a lot about especially, you know, hetero relationships and like, you know, and and how like, how do you ever, uh, I don't know a single, you know, parenting like unit where it feels like, you know, you know, equitable and like where it feels like there's like, you know, oh, okay, these people are really like, you know, on the, on the train of like, you know, trying to relinquish all of that shit that our parents had basically like because <laughs> it's like you know we still i mean we know so much more and, and it's good that we're like as you know generationally having these conversations because like now i feel like for the first time we are having these conversations like on the internet about emotional regulation and how we literally have never really known shit about it right <laughs> right <laughs> emotional regulation trauma like what trauma does to your your brain um we're having so many so much so many more conversations that will definitely help people figure out like what the hell's wrong with them Mm -hmm. (laughs) but also to help to help them know that this these things can can be sort of reversed you know the the brain is able to uh you know heal and so and so are it's constant work. Like it's constant work for us to uh, to be doing this sort of internalized, like constantly taking taking uh, doing a report card type type of thing. Like, am I okay today? It, it's so much work to parent in this way. It is exhausting because yeah. my first instinct is not to be this parent. My first instinct is to be my the parent that I knew for all these years, but. That's that's the beauty of this type of parenting is it makes you level up and it also affects every other relationship. I cannot just you can't compartmentalize like consciousness and decolonizing. You can't you can't you can try, but (laughs) I don't see why you would want to. I want to also prepare the community for these children, because what's the point of me raising a liberated child? to then send her out into an unconscious world that's going to target her for being a liberated kid. So I'm trying to also do this work in a way that's like, okay, I need to practice conscious parenting and conscious adulting, conscious like peopling in general. So we can, so we can help these children be able to like be themselves in this society that is not necessarily ready for them yet. So it just helps you to me, this type of thing helps you level up. It helps you just be a better person in general. And it helps you recognize your emotions and it helps you talk about them, form deeper connections with folks and be your more authentic self versus the traditional parenting, which is basically like all about compliance. It's all about ego. It's not about the child. It's not about the community at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So you mentioned to us, I think before we were recording, or maybe we were recording, I'm not sure, um, that you like take a day each week for yourself. Um, was that, to me, that's like, you know, that always seemed like something that would have to be essential if I was ever, if I was ever going to have to have a kid. But was that like a hard decision for you or how did you come to like, how did you like realize, you know, like I need this me time and I have the support system, so I should use it. So it, at first, as you mentioned, part of parenting in a more traditional way is kind of instilling like this sort of bootstrap mentality into your kids. Like you got to figure it out. And I was a latchkey latch key kid, is that what it's called? As well. So I had to learn things on my own a lot and I didn't have a lot of people to help me. So I always thought I had to do stuff alone. And I grew up thinking that most of my adults thinking that. So after I had Gia, my daughter, um, I, I remember just feeling so overwhelmed and my family, my mother lived literally across the street. I could walk across. She was lived across the street and my other sister lived in Malloway. And I remember just being at home and I'm just crying. I'm so upset. And I'm, I'm looking at my phone like I need to call someone. I need to call someone. And I just, and nothing, I couldn't do it. So finally my sister calls me and she's like, do you need me to come over? And I'm like, yes, like I really need help. And she's like, why didn't you just ask for it? Like, we're here for you. We're always going to help you. Like, let us, let us help. And from that moment forward, it was like, okay. It just wasn't my reality (laughs) in the family. That's also a family dynamic thing because I'm the oldest and everyone came to me for help. So it was also like getting over that whole family, like dynamic thing of always having to be the strong person and accepting it. So from that day forward, I'm like, um, come get this kid. My mom is like, where's my grandbaby? She's coming. I'm like, I barely even stop the car sometimes. Here you go. Uh, you can have her. I need a break. And I, you know, I love my kid, but we're always together. And so I like to share the love with other people. Go and get this child. It has become the only way, only way you're able to parent in this way, in my opinion, is if there is some collective care, some village around you. If you, we are not meant to do this alone. And so many of us are afraid of asking for help because we don't want to be a burden that we would rather burn out and take it out on our kids than, than ask for help. And it's not healthy for them to see us doing that. It's not healthy. It's just perpetuating this whole myth of us having to be alone and do things alone. I want Gia to grow up seeing me ask for help. I want her to grow up seeing people around her and knowing that mom needs her alone time. She can, I can go in the room, you know, when she's older and close the door and be like, hey, I need two hours. I'll see you in a minute. And she won't feel a way about it because I've already acclimated her to the fact that I'm going to need some me time. So I think it's an essential part of being a conscious parent. I think it's necessary to being a good parent to be able to take some time away from your kid because you're still a human being and a person outside of being a parent. I am a whole ass person and I'm, and I deserve to like have my own stuff on the side that has nothing to do with parenting. You know, yeah. Par- parenting is just one part of my identity. It's not all of it. And, and, and I, I really do feel for the parents who make it their whole identity. It's not, to me, it's not healthy. Yeah. How many yeah. parents do you think if we had our ideal society, you would have to parent one child? Oh man. Uh, so there's three, I have two sisters and, and my mom and my niece. So that's already four people who helped me with her. Um, her dad is in Chicago. If he could be here, he'd be helping. And his family is huge. I'm going to say a whole ass village. It really does take a village, y'all. 
Yeah. <laughs> if you look at ancestors, like if you look at, if you go back to, you know, um, indigenous people and looking at how they parent their children, it literally is the whole village. The moms don't just nurse their children. They nurse the village's children. All Everyone has a hand in how this child comes out. This whole, this whole individualism thing is, as we can see from how things are going with COVID, it's not working out. You know, we need, we need, you know what I'm saying? We need collective care. And it it requires more than even the two, two people, two person family structure that people love to talk about. I really feel like with my single mom structure that I have in my life and my um, existing family, Gia is, is very happy and well taken care of. And I don't feel like she's missing out on having her dad here every single day. She doesn't, she has so much love and support around her that it doesn't feel like there's this void for her, mm-hmm. you know? He lives in this different state, by the way, which is why he's not here. So, you know, it's just, to me, if the more people we have around us, the more people we can bring in, and that includes friends, um, as well as family, the, the better for our own psyche and the better for our children to, to see all these people that love them around them. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My um my house. I live in a um a house of four, and we are like really really close friends. And we when we first moved in together, we joked about like having a house child. And because we all like really if like if children are in our future, we all very much believe that it's gonna like you know it's gonna be more of like a co-parenting situation, right? Like it's gonna you know it and. So it's refreshing to hear that this is happening. It just feels, and it, to me, it feels so intuitive, right? It's like, it, obviously, if everyone chips in to help to help raise this child, this child will turn out better, and like, therefore, our like our society will probably be better for it. There's not. I mean, community care is so so important. As a matter of fact, my goal is to uh, my sister and I are are going to be buying a house with at least three acres of land on it, so we can be around each other and help each other out with our kids. But one of my larger goals is to have like a small community for single moms so we can all help each other like a tiny house community. I'm I'm, I'm jumping mm-hmm. on the bandwagon, y'all. Oh, my God. This <laughs> is like the utopia we are of the future yeah. that we are like looking for. <laughs> yeah, this you is know? like this is totally in my immediate like I want to say it's in my team to, you know, I'm out in Arkansas. So land is cheap out here and I can buy a attractive land that is you know build some fences around it because we got to keep some people out and uh but (laughs) (laughs) but be able to you know have this community um where there's collective care where it's not just me cooking in my home but we have a big old kitchen and we're all cooking and eating together and there's older people there because i think what happens in america too often is that a lot of the older people just end up lost and alone in their homes or in their community and I think having like elders in your community who are on board with this type of parenting is so important. They, they just know so much. So that's kind of what I envision. I, we're going to have a mini farm. It's very utopia. It's very like, mm-hmm. you know, ah! yeah. This little girl. Have you seen, yeah. um, have you seen tiny house nation on Netflix? It's literally all I watch. So my whole life is filled. <laughs> <laughs> my whole life is like homesteading channels, tiny house, um, Tiny house, big living or something like that's all I watch. I watch 
and and literally my Friday nights are filled with scrolling through Zillow and Realtor to look for land and look for homes. And, uh, you know, I envision, um, I envision just my kid who's a single, you know, I'm one and done, but I plan on doing, I plan on fostering and, and adopting some children in, in, in the future. But I want her to be around a lot of different people and, uh, and to feel what a community, what a village really feels like, but also to live debt free, to live in a very unconventional way, because we're going to be buying our land cash and we're going to be building on it and eating, you know, the food off of it and harnessing solar and collecting rainwater. Like I want her to, I don't want her to be 18 and then have to pay rent for someone else. She's going to have her own land. She can build her own home. She can grow her own food. What does she have to get a job for? It it, it sounds mm-hmm. radical for a lot of people, but I, you know, when someone asks Gia, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you, what do you want to do for work? I want her to be like, I don't want to work. Who wants to work? Yeah. It's yeah. not fun. <laughs> it's the worst. Who wants? I want yeah. her to pursue her passions. And so for her to be able to do that, though, I have to set my life up. So it's so her life is debt free. I want her to be able to do what she wants to do and not not just something to pay the bills. I don't want to work. Mm-hmm. That's what I want her answer mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Where are you gonna put this? Like yeah, we're we are gonna come. <laughs> sign me up. I'll come through, I'll help with childcare. <laughs> I don't know if y'all gonna want y'all wanna move to Arkansas though. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm from the South, so Well that's funny because you never think of Arkansas as those types of like places that have these like amazing, you know, parenting communes, right? Well, the, but you don't. You know, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm gonna create yeah. one. <laughs> right. I'm gonna create one. It's very important to me. Yeah. I mean I'm from the yeah. South and I love like I miss nature every day. So my plan is definitely like I am going to move back down south like has to has to happen at some point in my life and my partner has already agreed that she'll come with me so that's exciting (laughs) it's so cheap and you know when i when i talk about i lived in california most of my life i can't imagine you know raising gia there because i i would be so strapped for cash constantly and having to work so many hours in order to in order to live comfortably out there um in order to live uncomfortably out there really you know, to live comfortably, I would really, I would be making 500 grand a year. So, you know, it's just, it's not worth it to me. I, I really do enjoy the clean air, the no traffic, the the slow lifestyle, and to be able to, you know, do what I want to do. So I'm, I'm, I'll be in the South for a minute. Yeah. And then I'll be in Costa Rica. We may talk about that later, though. <laughs> you know I, I visited costa rica once and it was amazing they had like yeah a lot of really like self-sustaining communities out there exactly i plan on buying land there yeah i mean that's it, yeah say, i mean just like parenting like i feel like so many people who are like trying to retire are also in this situation like my boyfriend's mom um is like trying to do go to this like you know lesbian commune in like Oregon to retire where they can all just like take care of each other as opposed to like you know paying these ridiculous like you know nursing home fees and just like you know like why you know why that sounds amazing yeah exactly (laughs) I told my friends too and I'm just like we I told them I was like if we're not married we all want this yes right (laughs) I was like if we're not married let's just golden girl it up in our on our own land why are we (laughs) yeah like why are we tripping let's not 
Yeah, come on, man. We yeah. don't. And you can still, this. I mean, and it's not too late. You can find a partner, but yeah. they can just move in with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's no, yeah, it doesn't matter. I feel like if you're single, if you're married, like anyone, I feel like, I just feel like so many people would actually really, really love this lifestyle that you're talking about. And it's just wild to me that it doesn't seem more mainstream. Right. Like and when people talk well, about you know why that cults and communes and such and that has a lot of stigma associated with it. But but then also the capitalism, I assume is what you were going to say. But we, go the ahead. capitalism, um, the the idea of what the American dream is, is so skewed and weird um, and unattainable and individualistic. Yeah. Um, you know, have you heard of you heard of move? Right. What happened? Like, the, I think it was the 80s in Philadelphia, in Philly. Yeah. And then they got so, bombed. You know, they were pretty yeah, but they're pretty much trying to be a self-sustaining community and then they end up getting bombed for it. So it is more radical when, you know, when black people talk about this because this type of thing got us killed before. Yeah. And and um and so it feels a lot more radical, I think, when we do it. When you when you turn on YouTube and you see most people who are doing this, they're not people of color, um, unless they're in different countries, you know. But out here it's it's mostly white people who are catching like who are like i don't want i want to buy this land i want to build on it i don't want bills and so when i think about for me what the quote-unquote american dream it to me be debt free and so what does that mean to be debt free how do i want to set my life up to be to be debt free so i can so i can actually the money i make i'm i'm building wealth for my kid and for my family um and it is not the traditional capitalist sort of idea of what that means. Like I have no desire to have a huge home at the most. I want 1200 square feet, but that's still too big for me. You know, I, I don't want, um, a, a car, you know, a nice car or something like that. My car is fine. It's a little bit raggedy. I don't wash it, but it gets me <laughs> from point A to point B. You know, I don't need a car note just so I can have this idea of, of what success looks like for me. Success looks like being debt free, being happy waking up every day and spending time on things that I want to spend time on and not because I have to like work so hard to have it. So I'm, I don't know why it hasn't caught on, but it needs to. And I think once it does catch on, I think once it does catch on, people will realize how freeing and how liberated it feels to just do your own thing. Yeah. But that's not the world we live in. That's just not the world we live in, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm totally, the other thing I love about your the way you think about this is it feels so informed by, like, yeah. science. And, like, I tend to really, like, feel as if there's such a huge disconnect between academia and, like, shit that happens in the real world. And this is also just, like, feels so, like such a win for yeah. like the people who are actually trying to like you know study the brain and study like you know societies and stuff like that because it does seem to me like based on everything i've ever read and like learned about this that like what you're proposing seems like the obvious solution right. to so many of these problems <laughs> and it's, and it's also know? like what people did for a long time you know <laughs> like it's just how people lived and then like right it's not new exactly yeah, yeah. and then we just like let you know, the powers that be, like capitalism, whatever, decided that wasn't going to be the, the, the way we did things anymore. So there's a documentary that's called Happy. I watch it every yeah. every year um, around New Year's time. Just kind of re-up. But it's called Happy. Um, and it is about the psychology of happiness. And there was a scene on there about um, 
it's in, I believe, Sweden. And this it's a single mom. She has two kids and she basically lives uh, in, in this in this place that's all about communal care. So they live in a very tiny home, but then there's a large kitchen. What every family only has to cook one time a month. All the kids um, are homeschooled together. There's elders on the on the property and it's like one big ass happy family. Right. And they like grow food and everything else. And it got me to thinking, like, why isn't there more stuff out here like this? Like if I only had to cook one time a month and everyone else had to clean up, I ain't got to clean it up. I just got to cook it. There's there's in there's baked in child care. I don't even have to have a kitchen in my home because there's a big old huge kitchen that everyone sits and eats together. What? Why isn't there more of these? It just seemed like so ideal and so like something that I think a lot, especially single parents need in order to be able to be successful at parenting. A lot of a lot of our parenting strife is because we are so stressed out about making making money and making ends meet and making sure our children are happy and buying them things and, and that so on and so forth. But really a lot of it is also loneliness and um, isolation and feeling like we're in this, we're, we're, we don't have support and we, we don't have people to call on. So if we can just figure out how to create more of these little spaces where we can work together and, and raise kids and grow food, it, it just feels like so many of the, the, the world's problems would be solved and people would have places to, to eat and live for cheap. Um, I have a friend that lives in a like shared resources home where they like, you know, one person cooks and like everyone else cleans and that kind of thing. And like, I think, I think similarly, like one, like one of them has to cook like once per week or so. Right. So you only have to make dinner or make food once a week. And I was like, man, that sounds really good. Except for the fact that like, man, what, what do you do on the day that like the person who can't really cook cooks? <laughs> you just give them some other task. Just everyone. Mm-hmm. That takes some real authenticity though. You got to be like, look, fam, you, you aren't really doing it in here. So maybe we can put you on some, something else. I think that's a part of what we're all driving the, towards though, in this vision, right? Is the ability to, you know, have that authenticity yeah. with people. <laughs> Yeah, maybe even like, listen, let me help you learn how to cook because this ain't it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I really, is this like what you, when you say you do like, you know, parenting, coaching, like how do you get, pe- especially because parenting is already such a fraught kind of moralistic space of like, oh, you know, like you let your baby sleep on their like stomach like they should be sleeping on their back and like you know vice versa and like all these different camps of people who seem like they're like about to rip each other's throats out you know what i mean and it feels like really difficult to give anyone advice around parenting because it's in this like really fraught moralistic Mm -hmm. space it it, you know i approach it in a very sort of social justice perspective so when I talk about conscious parenting and decolonizing parenting, a lot of it is science-based because I'm talking about neuroscience, I'm talking about how kids uh, develop. Also, I talk a lot about um, capitalism, white supremacy, and, and the effects of that on parenting. So these are things that cannot be refuted. Like, come on, you really, it's all, it's all, yeah. you can try. And the people that do try, they are not, they are not welcome on my page. So I'm very like polarizing. Either you are with me or you disagree with me and you have no space here 
because I'm not here to argue with anybody about what I'm doing because I know what I'm doing and I know my mission and I know the greater the greater work that I'm trying to do. So whenever there's some people who are come on and I'm fine with with like explaining things, what I what I um you know what I'm not going to do, what I'm where I'm not going to go is back and forth. I just don't have time for that. So mm. I'm very polarizing. And I tell people like, you can either get with it or get lost. And I will block you in a minute. If you come on here disrupting, you know, like what I'm the mission, which is at the end of the day, this whole mission is to raise liberated kids is to help children become free from like oppressive parenting practices. Even the stuff I'm talking about with like this, this community I want to build, that's about raising liberated children as well. And so if you if you don't agree with that, then you got to get out of my space. And so everybody who's on my page, either they are agreeing or they just they just don't say anything because they don't know get blocked. That's just how I am. I'm very like it is an echo chamber. I am not ashamed to say that because it has to be in order for it to be a safe space for black people. Because if we get a bunch of people coming on and saying stuff like, you know, promoting violence and promoting like you know, want to argue about white supremacy and racism, it's not, it's no longer a safe space for black people and for brown people. It becomes, I'm centering that conversation now and I'm doing that. They they can go somewhere else with that shit. That's just how I work. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm also creating a, a community though. So I'm creating a membership and this is, I'm not trying to plug it or anything, but the the membership is really to be able to have these conversations in a more, not just where I'm giving the advice, but where everyone is coming in and and helping people, um, helping, helping us solve issues together. I I feel like I come on and I, I say, Hey, do this, do that. Try this, try that. But I want this to be a space where it's about the community. It can't just be about me giving all the advice. We all have to be willing to chip in and help each other out and not have like a little digital village of some sort and help each other in this this whole parenting thing because it ain't easy. And I frankly don't have the capacity to keep doing it by myself. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. This is just like, this is one of those episodes that's just like, wow, this is just such an inspiring vision that I really sincerely <laughs> hope that like you Thank make you. it happen. I, I plan you to. Know? <laughs> <laughs> How, how, okay. I, my question is how do you get to the, how do you get around the capitalism problem in this plan of yours in this 10 year plan, right? How do you get debt free? How do you, you know, get your piece of land? You know what I mean? Like, how do you yeah, get so there? So, because it feels like everyone feels like they're constantly yeah. this slave, no oh, matter, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, how do you so get around this that? that I struggled with for a very long time. Cause I'm just like, man, I'm talking about capitalism. Yeah. trying to make money here. Right. I'm an entrepreneur. And I had to, I had to really come to terms and the grips with the fact that in order for me to help people, I have to make money. Nothing is free. If this was a free world, fine. If there was free healthcare, fine. If there was, you know, places, but there's just not the way things are set up. So what I have kind of, you know, been restructuring my business um, to, to make it as accessible as possible while also trying to make some profits so I can do these things. Like I formed a nonprofit called Conscious Parenting for Social Justice. It's going to have grants. It's going to have scholarships. It's going to help parents. It's going to help coaches. It costs money for me to even form that thing. It costs money to even just have a, to, to that nonprofit application costs like $800. 
So it's unrealistic for me to think that I can't, that capitalism can never be involved in things that I'm doing. But um, I can, I talk about that stuff really like candidly, you know, and I let my audience know like, hey, I'm going to make this as accessible as I can. Some things are going to be free. Some things are going to be cheap. Some things are going to be more expensive. There's always going to be a spectrum of prices, Mm -hmm. but I have to A, keep my lights on and B, be able to fund the stream. And, and and money is a real thing <laughs> that I need to be able to do that thing. So, it, you know, at first I was really struggling with that. But if I'm using the profits that I that I get from this capitalism, this capitalist like exchange to create mutual aid, to create a community that is based on, on community care, then I then I feel like in some way what I'm doing is sort of a resistance against capitalism and against like hoarding money. Cause I, I was a part of a lot of communities, business communities to build my business. And I left them because I felt like they weren't giving back to like, they're using their sort of like, I'm a black woman and I'm now a millionaire and I want you to be a millionaire too, but I'm, but I'm not giving back anything. I'm just going to hoard my money. You're no better than anyone else. So I'm using my money to help people. Yeah. Cap- while well, I'll, well, I'll also keep my lights on capitalism is so like ingeniously oppressive because in order for you to like escape it you have to get a lot you have to participate in it a lot like you have to get a lot of money and you got to kind of come to terms with that so again like for my first conference I did a conference called Rona Racism and Radical Parenting it just just happened like a few weeks ago actually and um, it was free to to listen in it was free to free for the live conference. I wanted to be accessible as possible. And then I made like, I had upgraded paid tickets in order for me to be able to fund the the darn thing. But then I, at the end of it, I was so exhausted and I had to look at it because it's really just me. Like there's, I don't have a team, you know, I have one other person. So I had to look at it like, you want to make things accessible at your own expense. Like I, I deserve to be paid for my work as well. And until we're in a, a place where that, where we're all equitable and there's money just floating around and anyone can have it, um, I have to, I have to, I have to think about me and my daughter and, and our livelihood and be sometimes a little bit selfish and think about like, okay, you want to make things accessible, but you also need to pay your bills. So, you know, how are you going to meet, meet in the middle? It just is, it, I have to do it. And and I had to stop feeling bad about that. This is like maybe a little bit uh, like I, I feel like a lot of people might miss like hear this and feel and have it seem like I am like just like kind of cherry picking to like whatever, like for my own agenda. But I really genuinely feel like the only people I hear talk in these types of radical terms with these types of visions are black women like I literally I have a you know I can show you on my you know on my wall I keep like you know all these post-its of like different thinkers and like different like you know people and like what they're doing and like that I think are really like changing our society and the spaces that we're living in and like I have this this board of just like who are like the people leading the modern like revolution (laughs) and it's like you know it's like Brittany Packett Cunningham, like Tamika Mallory, Janelle Monet, like you know, all like the squad, right? And it's just like I 
actually literally like don't have any, you know, men on this wall. <laughs> and it's like, why? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean, I think it makes yeah. sense intuitively, right? It's like, you think so? These are like, this is probably the most, you know, like the most systematically oppressed demographic in our nation. Mm-hmm. Like, why would, you know, why would, I mean, obviously you weren't just talking about white men, but like, why would white people want, like, be doing really hard thinking about how to dismantle a system that like works for them. That's you know? true. That's true. I guess my my thought was just that if you're the most oppressed, you'd think that you would also be the most pessimistic about it, but it seems like it's actually the opposite. Oh, we can't afford that. Can't afford yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't afford that. Someone said, you know, I said I said when the when the year came around, I was like, um, I hope you're feeling hopeful. I hope that you're looking forward to the new year and I hope you're feeling hopeful about the future. And someone was just like, I, I try. And I'm, you know, looking at the way things are, the way things were, like I'm no longer hopeful. And that's dangerous. That is da- that that is what uh the man, okay, would like for us to be. They want us to be to to look at things from a very hopeless perspective. Because when you feel hopeless, then you're inactive. You don't, there's, you know, like there's, it's, it's depressing and you just end up on your sofa watching Star Trek Next Generation episodes. Like I did a few, I was really severely depressed and that's what I did. I laid on my sofa for like months and just watched Star Trek Next Generation from like start to finish, like daily. <laughs> and it's because I just felt like I was in this place and it was hopeless and it was just like, what's the point? What's the point? Nothing I do is ever going to change anything. So that's a dangerous place to be. We can't afford that. We have to look forward to the future. It's so funny because I took a, a strength test um, and number one, number one strength was futuristic. And it's because I am a futuristic type thinker. And I think about the hope that I have for the future is what keeps me going on a daily basis. And now that I have my daughter, it's even stronger. Like I have to, I have to be an active player in this, this, and an agent of change to so things can be better for her like i'm 40 years old so you know but for her she's only three she has her whole life ahead of her and i if i don't do my part then i don't know i wouldn't be able to live with myself so that's how i i feel like we can't afford as black and brown people women um anyone to be hopeless we have and pessimistic don't get me wrong when it comes to white supremacy i'm very pessimistic because i don't think white people are ever gonna do the work to dismantle white supremacy and because they benefit from it too much and and in order for it to be dismantled they would lose literally everything and so when we start when i start talking about that with them and i say you're going to lose things i lose them they're they're gone i'm i'm pessimistic about that that's why i'm just like then i'm gonna do me and i'm gonna build my community up and we're going to live as free as we can within these oppressive systems instead of being comfortable within the, the oppression, which is what I feel a lot of us has been for a long time. Yolanda, thanks so much for sitting down with us. I feel like... Um, you know, like liberated parenting and like conscious parenting and like decolonizing parenthood are all things that, you know, I've hear I've heard people talk about in theory, but it's really kind of refreshing to see, um, you know, quite frankly, like a person of color, like putting this shit into action and like, you know, showing people how to do it. So we appreciate that. 
Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, so two questions that I've been asking everyone um, that's been on the show. First is that um, what have you been doing to try to stay sane or stay busy during the pandemic? The, the best thing I could do for myself to stay sane during this pandemic is to give myself a day without my child. <laughs> Get a babysitter. <laughs> that's number one. <laughs> yeah, that's real. Um, and then the second question that I've been doing as a special edition, uh, almost a year into the pandemic question is if you think back, um, to, you know, last March or whatever, what was like the last thing that you did that was in a group of people or like in like a crowd? Lord, it seems like a zillion years ago. <laughs> I didn't even remember. Um, I, I think I had Mexican food. It was terrible. But um, I went to, I, I believe I went to a Mexican restaurant with my, with my sisters and my mom. And we enjoyed our, what was my last time inside of a restaurant. Nice. In a year. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish it was better. Oh, it's, it's so bad out here. They put cinnamon in their carnitas. I'm like, who are you people? <laughs> and you're from Cali. So like, that's like. I'm from California. I'm from Long Beach, California. We have some of the best Mexican food. It's just offensive. The Mexican food out here. They got good barbecue though. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting <laughs> to me how, like, as I said, I'm from the South. I've been to a lot of small ass communities. It seems like no matter how small the community, there's always at least one terrible Mexican restaurant. Yeah. There's like five out here. It's so bad. And they have this stuff called Tex-Mex. I, I don't oh, understand yeah. it. Um, Tex-Mex is not real Mexican food. It is gringo, gringos. It's white people Mexican food. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, yes, I said it. I mean, it is what it is, you know. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, why don't you tell the people where they can find your content? Yes, so you can find my uh, my website, parentsdecolonize.com. I am also, I have a podcast where I discuss all things Related to decolonizing your parenting, and you can find that on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, and I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, so look me up. Cool. And as always, you can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Twitter, that's our Gmail, and that's our Instagram. Otherwise, bye. <laughs>